0: good morning morning. it is good to have you here this morning we are always excited at your presence and always thankful to God who allows us these opportunities to be together ultimately to glorify him and to praise his name he is certainly worthy and uh, also then to fellowship and benefit from the blessing of being together we are in the midst of a series of thoughts now I say midst I would say that just off my head I don't actually know if it's the middle I don't we're we're in the process of a series of thoughts on the subject of change where we are in that I don't exactly know but we're making progress and uh, we we're back to the point of trying to make three points along and not make each one of these a sermon unto itself and so last week we talked about learning new truth and learning from success stories of others and then not judging ourselves unworthy it is amazing what you and I can do to ourselves uh, and our own thinking and we'll talk about that just a little bit before we go further there, we want to acknowledge the elephant in the room. And that is why change is such a challenge. Why is it such a challenge? I'd like to offer you about four or five reasons why it's a struggle. Uh, number one, it's easier to keep doing what you've always done. It's just easier. And, and typically in life, we, we take the path of least resistance. It's just easier to do it. Uh, one of the, the great challenges of life is procrastination. When are you going to get started? Well, I mean, tomorrow. I'll probably get started on that tomorrow, and then tomorrow comes, and you know what? Next week, I really feel good about it next week. I'm going to get going really in earnest next week. But you know what? The new year's coming, so why don't we just wait a month or two out until we get to the new year? So it's just easier to keep going the way we've always gone. Secondly, it's more comfortable to keep doing it the way you're doing it, even if it's detrimental. It's amazing that you can become uncomfortable or comfortable in what should be discomfort. It should be uncomfortable to hurt yourself. It should be uncomfortable to harm yourself, to make decisions and keep doing things that are not helpful. It should be, but it's often just comfortable and more comfortable to just keep doing it. Thirdly, it's common to quit and to revert back. Um, Who doesn't quit? Everybody quits. In fact, it's become a national pastime, quitting. We joke about it. We don't even really make that big a deal about it anymore. I mean, sometimes we we use expressions like New Year's resolution and people start laughing. (laughs) You're going to do what? Make a New Year's resolution and then we just wait. You know what's going to happen, don't you? The same thing that happens to everybody. Well, what is it? By February. We'll give you January, but by February, you know you'll be done with that. You know you won't even make it out of February. Who won't make it out of February? Nobody. The uh, exercise and fitness industry loves this about us <laughs> because they get a new fresh client with new enthusiasm. The gyms are open, $10 a month, it's cheap. And come on in. And they know, by fa- it's so common to quit. We don't even make that big a deal about it anymore, it's just so common. Number four is um, excuses have no cost to them. They're cheap, they're handy, and they're useful. And so we just make excuses. I mean, it's not that big. This came up, that came up, something else came up, something came up. And don't they sound reasonable? I mean, the logic is almost just impeccable with the excuse that I just made. It's so sound, it's so reasonable, anybody in their right mind would make the same excuse I just made and go with it. And and then finally, um, I'm accountable to no one. If I were to ask you this morning, who holds you accountable? What would you say? When you do all those other things and then nobody holds you accountable, you hold you accountable. But it's common to quit and it's comfortable and it's easy and so forth and so on and so with no accountability, then it just becomes easy to quit. Maybe you need somebody to whom you could be accountable. I had a friend one time call me up and he said, Eric, I'm doing something right now. I'm doing this experiment. I'm trying to find out about myself and what really people think about me. And I don't want you to, you know, I don't want you to be light and easy, and I don't want you to take my feelings into account. I just want the truth. I want you to tell me what you think people think about me and why that's the case. I, just give it to me. He did this, and he said he was, and so I told him. <laughs> Under those circumstances, <laughs> all of those caveats, I, I, I told him, and it was not what I would you know I wouldn't have kept stuff from him it's just not what you say to people he wasn't hurting anybody he wasn't doing anything he's just being him and he was getting results and he wanted to check the results and he asked me and so I did tell him I said I said well the truth is you're prickly the, the truth is you you can make it difficult on people the truth is you can be challenging to people that's the truth he he wanted that who holds you accountable Who do you call up and say that to? That's why it's hard to change. With no accountability, we're just ourselves, and we will give ourselves all of those other reasons not to change. I want to offer you three more things associated with change and how to do it. We're in the practicality stage, and so we want to talk about that. I would say this, though, before we go any further. I'm not a motivational speaker. I'm not a a, a YouTuber and one of these other social media outlets that gives you good information. That's not what I'm up here doing. You might find harmony where I say something and you might say, well, I was listening to this guy, this woman, this person last week, and they said the same thing Eric said on Sunday. Here's what's happening. They have found truths inside of God's word, and they don't give God credit. And they are giving sometimes helpful, useful information, and if it's the truth, then it's helpful and useful because it's the truth. But I'm talking to people who have God as the center of their lives and the motivation for their actions. Now, I'm not telling you that every week. I just get up and start leading into change. But I fear that you might, with as much information as out in the world and the new year approaching, you might podcast otherwise. You might hear somebody say some things, and you might say, well, that's what Eric said on Sunday. I guess they're innocent. We're not. We're not. I'm talking about God. God. And the motivation to change wherein it's necessary is God and the one who will help you is God and the reason you can is God I'm not trying to bump into it with good suggestions that I've come up with in my office through the week that's not it they're rooted in Scripture They're said to people who have committed their hearts and lives to God, and therefore they should be taking God's Word into their lives and living it out. And wherein and if you need to change, if you have the Lord, you should be different than people who don't have the Lord. Three things this morning. I won't say that every week, but I thought I should this week. Number one, if you have your Bibles, look at Matthew chapter 12. Three things you need to do if you're going to be successful, when you're going to be successful in your change, this will be one of the things that's necessary to do. Place the energy into something positive. To say it another way, fill the mind, your house, with something good. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 43 to 45, Jesus is talking about an unclean spirit. You and I might know them as demons in the first century world, these entities that would overtake a person's life and get inside of their body and take control. And if you read through the gospel accounts, they did that to people. And and one father was so concerned about his son, he said he throws him into the fire. He tries to drown him in the water And, and all of these things. This is not a, quote, sickness Or something like that this is not a seizure or anything physical this is demon possession and that's the way the scripture talks about it and and part of the uh, at least part of the reason it existed is so that Jesus would demonstrate his power over them the Lord would rebuke them the Lord would cast them out but Jesus is teaching about them and he says these words in verse 43 when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person It passes through waterless places seeking rest but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. Now, we're not talking about demon possession. I don't want you to think that. But we are talking about that concept of a spirit within a person the spirit of the person's mind that's wrong, the spirit of the person that needs to change. We've talked about it in terms of bondage and slavery to sin. That spirit within the person, that's what's trying to be changed. And and in the same way, what's being said is if you change that and then you don't fill the house, that's what we mean by fill the house, the mind, with something good. Take that energy, that, that effort, all of that which you're using here for bad and needing to change, take that and now use it for good. Do something with it now. You can't just stop the one thing. That's what's being said. Idle minds can be a destructive thing. Last week, one of the things we suggested was learn new information. This is why you would need to do that. You empty the house. You clean it out. Great. What did you fill it with? Now that it's empty, what are you going to put in its place? The thoughts and challenges will, 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 might may very well persist. So old habits die hard. When the place is swept and garnished, what'll happen if you and I aren't careful, if we, if we don't get involved in new action, new learning, building this direction, if we don't do that, if we aren't careful, we'll conquer one addiction and replace it with another. How often have you heard a person say, yeah, I used to drink, I used to drink, now I smoke. <laughs> I used to, I used to, I used to, now I, what happened? I, I swept it, I, I cleaned it out, but I didn't feel it. With anything. This is what I'm saying. If you're going to change, then listen. Clean the house, yes. Sweep it out, yes. But now it needs to be filled. With what? Let me offer some suggestions. Read the Bible. Read the Bible now more maybe and with a different view toward reading it, not for punishment, not for, not, not for some, some sort of simply an academic ritual or the fact that I need to do it to check some list. No, read the Bible always to learn God. Get closer to your heavenly Father. M- maybe this would be a very good time. I don't know what to do now. I got the house empty. Okay, great. Look for people who've overcome. What did they do? Find somebody who's done it, yeah, swept the house out, got the thing, okay, great. This would be thirdly a good time to really consider Jesus. Turn your focus and consider him. Look at Hebrews chapter 12 and listen to what the Hebrew writer says. In in this great book on faith, which he talks about really from the the, nearly the very beginning of the book all the way through the book, he, he does that great chapter in chapter 11, which really. The end of chapter 10 kind of bleeds into that. We are not of them which draw back, he says. In chapter 12, he, 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 after coming through all of those faithful people in chapter 11, he says in verse number 12, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which doth so easily beset us. So, there's the idea again. You're laying aside something. You're cleaning it up. You're casting off. Great. And then he says, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. How would we do that? Verse number two, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of God. And then he says in verse number three, for consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners. Why would you do that? against himself lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds this would be a great time to really focus on jesus sometimes we say read the bible maybe we don't get specific enough so if we're talking about jesus you find him in the gospel accounts read matthew mark luke john then with an emphasis and focus on jesus i want to learn jesus here's his birth his life his death his burial his resurrection i want to learn jesus read those books then Maybe also memorize Scripture. Sometimes people sell themselves short, and they say things like, I can't memorize the Bible. Well, that would probably be the only thing on earth you could memorize then because you can memorize other things. Do you have a favorite song? Yes, no, maybe so. Got a song or two you like? Do you know the lyrics? How'd you do that? You know you didn't always know those lyrics. You didn't. You liked the song before you knew the lyrics. You heard it one time, you said, I like that song. For me right now, it's those Jonas brothers with um, what's it called? Something, vacation eyes. Yeah, I'm liking that one. I don't know the lyrics though, so I listen, I listen, I listen. I heard a few though, and then I sing them like you did. You know, I got And then you get to that part you don't know, and you just fill it in. <laughs> and then <laughs> And then you come back to the words that you know. That's how you memorize anything. You just keep doing it over and over and over. Family, why would the Bible be different? Why would anybody think memorizing the Bible would be different than listening to it again and again and again and reading it again and again and again? And if you do that, you will put it in your heart. That's what David said. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. What's your great weapon for change and helping you build that new life? Scripture would be a good, good thing to put into your heart. You know, we try and we encourage people to read the Bible. Well, great, you've done that. Well, let's move on. Let's memorize it. Let's memorize the Bible. You can do it. Can I ask you to do me a favor and yourself a favor? Would you please stop leading with the words, I can't? Would you just please stop that? In fact, why don't we just not do that for 2024? And why don't we just start saying, I can through Christ. I can through Christ. That's what Paul said. Shouldn't we say what's in the Bible? I can. I almost feel like one of those preachers that want to say to the whole audience, everybody now say, I can, but I ain't going to do you like that. just gonna ask you to do it (laughs) tell yourself you can you can you can pray and talk to God move your body it'll help exercise go for a walk do something raise your knee do something anything redirect the energy the efforts you were committing to that you want to change it stop it sweep it out now take that and use it in all of these other beneficial, powerful, helpful ways for your life. Number two, when you do that, be consistent. That word means marked by firmness, harmony, reliable. If there's an example of a person who struggled with that, it might be the apostle Peter. It seemed like in every aspect of his life, it seemed like every time he was talking, he would take one step forward and two steps backward. Almost as quickly as he would have a success, he would follow it with a failure over and over and over again. Look with me at Matthew chapter 24. Here's one of those examples. Peter, the Bible says Jesus is walking on the water. I want to pause when I say that. Because when you read the Bible sometimes, it just becomes common. Like, eh, stop it. He's walking on the water. Would you, when we finish today, run me your list of people who you know did that? <laughs> Jesus is walking on water. You'll want to pause and give that some thought. But because he is, Peter says, Lord, if it's you, this is down in verse number 28, Peter said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And the very next verse, Jesus said, come, it's no problem for him. Come. Peter then got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. Your list just went up one. How many people you know walked? I know at least two. I know Jesus did it, and I know Peter did it. Here's a small group in which Peter finds himself walking on the water. What happened? Almost as quickly as the success, the Bible says, but seeing the wind, he became frightened, began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me immediately. Jesus stretched out his hand, took hold of him, and said to him, you of little faith. Grab the last three or four words. Why did you doubt? we never get an answer but it is a worthy question why did you doubt you believed I could command you to come out here why did you doubt I would keep you safe what happens then if I fail well listen be consistent look at the next example it's a chapter or two over chapter 16 In verse number 13, beginning, Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi. He asked the disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Some say, Thou art John the Baptist, some Jeremiah, Elijah, one of the prophets. He said, And then, but whom do you say that I am? Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, Blessed art thou, Simon, my Jonah of flesh and blood, and not reveal this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I also say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell, Hades will not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom. Whatsoever thou shalt bind on the earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples he must go up to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, and scribes, and that he must be killed and be raised on the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Lord, that shall never happen to you. I ask you to write down your list of people who walked on water. It's a short list. Well, let me ask you this. Write down your list of disciples who rebuked Jesus to his face. It too will be a short list, but you know who's on it? Peter. Made the great confession, you are the Christ, the Son of God, if he is, how did you think you could have a private session with him and rebuke him? You know what Jesus said to Peter in the very next verse, verse 23? He turned aside and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You go from confessing the name of Jesus to being called Satan by Jesus. Talk about consistency or the lack thereof. You know very well the last one, Matthew 26, 33 to 35, he and the other apostles said, though all men forsake you, I'll never forsake you. In fact, I'll die before I'll forsake you. That's what Peter said. To which Jesus said, he won't even crow three times. Cock won't crow three times this evening before you deny me. And if you read the rest of the chapter, 69 to 75, that's exactly what happened. Peter, with cursing and swearing, denied even knowing Jesus. Why is it so hard to change? It's hard to be consistent. And if you will take that lack of consistency with those first three or four or five things we talked about, which is why it's hard to change, excuse making, no accountability, it's common to quit. If you add those things together, what you'll find is when people fail and fall down, they often stay down. Why is it so hard? Lack of consistency. Well, how am I going to be consistent? You know everybody takes a step forward, takes a step back. I ran good in January that first week. I was on fire at the gym every day. I was there early. I did everything right. What happened? I fell into the same trap that everybody falls into. Life happened. Time happened. I clicked the alarm to snooze one time, and it blew my year. It doesn't have to blow your year. What happens if you fall down how am i going to be consistent i'm going to get back up when i fall down peter fell down but he never stayed down we talk about his failures we should equally talk about his triumphs he didn't just try them on the front end and confess christ he didn't just fail when he rebuked christ Peter didn't just triumph when he said, I'd die for you, and then fail when he denied him. Peter came back to the Lord, and Peter is one of the preachers in Acts chapter 2. And Peter preaches the first sermon to a non-Jewish person in Acts 10. It's Peter who writes first and second Peter. Peter comes back. Peter was consistent. He came back. And we don't read of the dips and the falls and the ebbs, not anymore. There's a consistent life of faithfulness because he got back up and he kept trying. And you need to do the same thing. If you fall down, get back up. Sometimes we joke, well, February, is over. So I guess that's if you got 10 months left. There's no reason to stop in February if you fell down. What are we going to do about March and April and May? You got to get back up and keep going. We have an advocate, is how John says it, 1 John 2, 1 to 3. What if I do sin? We have an advocate. Jesus help you. He'll stand up for you. Stand up for you. Jesus will do that. What, what happens if I fall down? If we walk the the he's like, he won't kick us out. In fact, the blood of Jesus Christ keep cleansing us, 1 John 1, 7. Don't allow doubt and despair and shame and 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 just don't allow, allow anything to convince you that if you fall down you have to stay down. The way to be consistent is to get back up and to keep trying. Because consistency will build the third thing and that's perseverance. That's number 3. See the benefits of perseverance. See the benefits When you say the word perseverance can you hear the word severe in perseverance can you hear that it got me to thinking what is the etymology of the word perseverance if the word severe is in there here is what what it says it says to persist in what one has undertaken to pursue steadily a design or course it says it's from the 14th century It's from Old French, to persevere or perseverer. It is to continue to persevere, to endure. It's directly from Latin, persevere, continue steadfastly or persist, from perseverus, very strict, earnest. It's from per, very, and it's from severus, serious, grave, strict, austere steadfastness toughness why is it so hard to change because perseverance is severe it's going to cost me and it's going to be strict it's going to be hard it's one of the reasons you cannot keep leading with the words I can't if you have your Bibles look at the book of James Because James is addressing this very point, and he says, this is exactly what you need. The brothers and sisters in the first century church are struggling. They're under duress and persecution. That same chapter we were just in a second ago, Hebrews chapter 12, we didn't keep reading, but he says later in that chapter, you haven't resisted the blood, but you're going to. It's going to get hard. But you know what? That's exactly what Jesus said way back in Matthew 5. When he first addressed those who would be his disciples, he said this is going to be hard. We read verse 3 down to about verse number 9 and 10, and we talk about the Beatitudes, and it's so pleasant almost. It sounds so nice. Blessed are the merciful, and blessed are the peacemakers. And blessed you know where that's leading you? it's leading you into about verse number 10 where it says blessed are you when men shall persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven that's exactly what james says in james chapter 1 and this is where the success comes from i have to see the benefits of the severity. There's benefit in that for me. The perseverance is going to come through the severity. And so James opens his book with these words My brethren, James, the servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered abroad, greetings, he says. And then he says, My brethren, here's the first point consider it, count it all joy. Count it, consider it. We haven't even started yet. I'm standing at the beginning, I'm looking at the difficulty and the journey, and I'm standing there and I'm counting it a joy to be here. I'm counting it a joy to start the journey. I'm not saying to myself, I can't. I'm counting it a joy that I can. Count it all joy. The reason you would count it all joy is the very next phrase. He says, knowing. What do you know? James says, knowing that the trial of your faith produces endurance. How am I going to get the endurance I need? Through the trial. And so, I stand on the front end of the trial. I look at the obstacles and all the severity, and I say to myself, I want that. James says, if you will do that, verse number four, but let patience have her perfect work. Let that do its job let it work it will do something for you if you let it work it's not your enemy (laughs) it's not your opponent it's actually going to do something if you let it do it what's it going to take for me to let it do it i'm going to have to keep going through it the moment i stop i don't just stop me i stop it from working It can no longer bless my life. Whatever benefit was going to be mine, it can no longer give it to me. Whatever I was going to get on the other side, I can no longer have it because I did not let it work. I stopped it. Why did I stop it? Well, you pick the reasons. It was hard it was difficult it was challenging i actually i told myself i couldn't before i even get started i took three steps and then i would confirm what i believed. i knew i couldn't make it i knew it was going to be too hard i knew it was going to be challenging that's why i didn't even you're never going to get what it would be able to do for your life this is why james says when you arrive count it a joy that you get to count it all joy When? Because if you let it work, if you let it have its perfect work, he says it will produce endurance. Slide down to verse number 12 and notice what he says there. He says, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Why is he blessed? For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to them that love him. Now, again, contextually, of course, we're talking about salvation. Ultimately, we're talking about he's going to come through this trial. He's going to be better on the other side. He's going to get what the Lord promised. He's going to get it. How is he going to get it? He perseveres. Well, apply it to you and me because we're trying to make application. How will it work for me? Whenever you're changing, whatever area you're working on, when will you reap the benefits? When you don't enter, when you take a few steps and quit, or only when you go through and get to the other side. When do you reap the benefits? It's only after. The victory always comes. The crowning always comes after you go through. James says, in fact, This is the way God has designed the world, and this is the way it works, spiritually and physically. And so James will say, turn over to chapter 5, he'll say God has given us examples of this very thing. He's shown us how it works. We didn't read the first nine verses we should have, could have, because there James sets up what follows, and that is they're being mistreated by rich people. The rich, he says, are, they're, they're taking advantage of people. They're, 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 they're mistreating them. They're not paying to all these things to them. And so, James says, listen, don't complain, my brethren, verse number nine. Don't complain against one another so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Listen, Jesus has got you. That's what he said. God has got you. He's not going to leave you. You're okay. Stay in there. But right after he says, the judge is at the door, notice where he pivots to in verse number 10. As an example, brethren, an example of what? Of suffering and endurance, patience. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Well, what did they go through? Go back and read Hebrews 11 and listen to him talk about the prophets. Prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea down to Malachi. Go back through and read how the prophets lived and what they went through. And if you read Hebrews 11, 33, where it talks about, but others, it talks about all of these faithful people and all that they did and how God blessed them and they overcame and overcame and overcame. And then it says, now, but others, others suffered cruel mockings. Others were scourged. Others were sawn asunder. Others dwelt in caves. Others, now, all those people, also by faith, but they went through. And James says, take them for an example of perseverance. We count them happy, King James language. We count them blessed. Who are the ones we count blessed? Verse number 11, who endured. Who got the victory? Who do we look back to and say, now that Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the prophet, that is what you We count them happy which endure. And then he says this. You've heard of the endurance of Job. Have you heard of Job? James's audience had. He says, you've heard of Job, have you? Well, that tells you that Job is real. That tells you that Job was tried and everything you read in this book is true. It's not made up. It's not fiction. James says, listen, you've heard about Job. Well, what about Job? Go back to the book of Job and look at chapter 1. You've heard of Job. You know, for all accounts, as you read the life of Job, one of the things you'll find is Job was a faithful, righteous man. In fact, you and I might use the expression, Job was good. Job Job was as he ought to have been. In fact, that's how the Bible couches it. Look there in verse number 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. What kind of man was he? The man was blameless, upright, and fearing God, and turning away from evil now that's his spiritual state that's who Job is what did he have what did he ha- look at verse 2 Job had seven sons and three daughters were born to him verse number three so Job has this character verse 1 he has been blessed with a family a large family ten children seven sons three daughters And Job is wealthy, verse number three, his possessions also, which is an indication that insofar as if Job were counting, it would have been God, family, and then possessions. The possessions are thrown in with the word also. He had God, he had a family, and his possessions also. Well, what about his possessions? 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, very many servants. And that man was the greatest of all the men in the East. Let me ask you this. How could he get better? You and I might argue, man. That's that's where you want to get to right there. If you could get that said about you, we would think that's when you made it. And yet, that's the opening of the book. And here James is, thousands of years later, talking to Christians who are suffering. And he says, Listen, take Job as an example, but what are you taking? That same James says, You counted a joy because if you go through it, you'll be better on the other side. You know, the point James is making is as good as Job was, he could be better. How could a man like that get better? According to James, trial severity, because if he's tried, he will take that description and then go through the trial. Will he be better on the other side? He thought so. Look at Job 23 and verse number 10 and listen to what he says. Job chapter 23 and verse number 10, Job says, but he, with reference to God, he knows the way that I take When he has tried me, I shall come forth, how, Job? As gold. You're going to get better? Yes. Like a refiner, purifying precious metal. I'm going to improve. What's going to improve you? The trial. It's going to drop off the dross and all of the impurities, and I'm going to be better on the other side. Was he? Go to the end of the book. Look at Job chapter 42 and verse number 10. Earlier in the chapter, God talked uh, to Job about, his, about himself and about his friends, and he told those friends they had not spoken the right thing about God. And Job says in verse number five, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. In verse number 10, the Bible says, the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends, and the Lord increased all that Job had twofold. So, those numbers that we read in chapter 1, God is going to give Job double of all of those things, but not just the possessions. Note all the relationships are mended and restored. Verse number 11, then all his brothers and all his sisters and all who had known him before came to him. And they ate bread with him in his house, and they counseled or consoled him and comforted him for all the adversities that the Lord had brought on him. And each one gave him one piece of money and each one a ring of gold. Then the Lord blessed the latter days of Job, listen to it, the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 of oxen, 1,000 female donkeys. He had seven sons and three daughters. He named the first Jemiah, the second Keziah, and the third Karen Hapuk. In all the land, no women were found so fair as Job's daughters, and their father gave them inheritance among their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and his grandsons four generations. And Job died an old man full of days. Someone has noted he didn't double the children to 20 because the first 10 were still alive. think that's fair. Everything else died. The children are alive. And so he gave them 10 more. He didn't double them to 20. But let me ask with reference to Job, do you think he was better before the trial or after the trial? james says you've heard of job haven't you you've heard of his endurance if we could talk to job those second 140 years i have no doubt job would have told us oh after that trial i was better on the other side how can i change you place the energy into something new You fill the house, you sweep it, you garnish, you remove it, yes, but then you fill it with good things, new things, new person, new knowledge, new life, fill it with newness. You persist in being consistent. I fall down, get back up. I fall down, get back up. I fall get back up. And if you're willing to do that, when you come to the trial, you're in it, let it work. See it as a good thing count it a joy to be able to go through and then let it work so yes you will get in there and it will be challenging because you've been doing it one way for so long And it's hard to change your mind, and then your subsequent actions, and then the trials began. And so, if I've been a person who reached for something to eat to comfort myself, it's going to be hard to stop that. Well, maybe I just reached for stuff because I was happy. Okay, it's going to be hard. Well, maybe I reached for stuff when I was disappointed, when I was it. Whatever you've done, it's going to be difficult. If I've had money issues and I want to change that, it's going to be difficult. If I had this and that, let it work. Put the new information in. Be persistent, change, and then let the trial work on you and get to the other side. And if you'll do that, like Job, like the prophets, like everybody who's ever won and had a victory, let patience have her perfect work. You know we didn't read the end of that verse. It says, but let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect. And entire or complete, lacking in nothing. How will you become complete if you let it work on you? You will be better on the other side. not a Christian this morning. We're going to beg you to become one. The greatest change in your life is to give your life to Jesus. That's the greatest change. And even that change is not without trial. It's not without adversity. I hope you never hear us say, if you will come to Jesus, everything in your life will instantly get better, and you will never have another—I hope you never interpret whatever we say that way. It's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, blessed are you when men persecute you and revile you and say all manner of evil against you. You can almost be certain, if you come to Jesus, you will have trials. If you live godly, you'll suffer persecution, but if you come to Jesus, you can go through that with him and he can help you he can get you to the other side you can't get there without him believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God John 8 24 he is allow that belief to move you to change your heart and your mind repent confess his name say the same thing I believe Jesus Christ is the son of God stand up with him and for him own him and let him own you and then bury the old man bury him in the watery grave of baptism and then rise walk in newness of life not the old you better the new you a new mind a new life a new walk let Jesus help you with that if you are his child and you live in a way that's not pleasing to him if you've fallen down get back up tell yourself and if you have to say it again say it again and again and again until you start to believe it I can through Christ, I can control my tongue. I can control my anger. I can control my money. I can control my, myself. I can. I can. Through Christ, I can. And then let it work. If we can help you in any way, we invite you to come as we stand and as we say.